this morning, we're going to be talking further about discipleship. Uh, we'll be looking in Acts 16 and then also in 2 Timothy. Um, and so, uh, really kind of what we're going to do is, is provide us an opportunity, a framework to say, all right, what's it look like when we think, here, Jesus continues to say those words, follow me. Right? So what's that look like? How would that practically be lived out in my life? Um, what, what does it look like for me to follow Christ? What is discipleship? What should it be looking like in my life? Um, and so we've been talking about it for several weeks, uh, ultimately, hopefully for several years. Um, it's, it's Jesus' anthem there as he closes out his ministry uh, here on earth. And he says, hey, listen, go and make disciples of all nations. And so um, how do we do that? What's that practically look like day to day? How has it been lived out in your life? Um, and so this morning, we're after that, this journey of discipleship. Um, so let's pick up with Paul there in Acts 16 um, as we continue our work working through the book of Acts. So verse 1 of Acts 16, Paul came, it says, to Derby and to Lystra. Right? And so those are kind of important places, and you'll see why in a moment. And it says there's a disciple there, and his name is Timothy. And Timothy is actually, his parents aren't both believers, okay? So his mom was a Jewish believer. Um, when Paul writes to Timothy, he talks about the faith. He says that once lived in your grandmother Lois and now, in fact, lived and lived in your mother Eunice and now lives in you also. But by the fact is, is that he lives in a split household. And so mom is, is a follower of, of the one true God. Um, she's a Jew, but dad is a Greek. And so he's not a follower of the one true God, Yahweh, right? And so he's um, kind of lives in a split household. Maybe you, you know that. Maybe you live in a place like that, that one of your parents is um, and maybe one isn't. Or um, you just kind of know what it looks like to live in a family where, hey, it's kind of mixed. Um, some folks follow Christ, some don't. Um, that's where Timothy lives. So maybe you can identify the story. It says he's well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And so Paul does in verse 3, he says, hey, listen, I want you to accompany me. I want you to go with me. All right, he's getting ready to leave out on that second missionary journey to go and visit the churches. Remember that? That's where he's at. He's on the journey, strengthening the churches um, where they've already preached the gospel. Um, he's going to take the gospel to lots of new places. He's going to head to Macedonia as, as Acts 16 begins to unfold. And so he takes them, he circumcised them because of the Jews that were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. All right. So again, what we have here is we've been dealing with it of, hey, are we required to obey the law, circumcision, the sign of the covenant? Why is he doing that? If that's they've just made that decision, right? You remember that decision they made? It said, listen, hey, everybody is saved by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone. This seems kind of contradictory. But what's happening here is he's not doing this so he can be saved, but in essence, so he can minister to the people. You might hear Paul's words when he wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, listen, I, to the weak, I became like the weak. To the strong, I became like the strong. He says, listen, for those that don't follow the law, I, I was under the law. For those that said, hey, listen, we're Gentiles, we have freedom from the law. He said, I, I live that way. And, and what he's saying there is, he comes to that culmination in verse 22 of 1 Corinthians 9 by saying, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might win some. Paul says, listen, this life is not about my personal preferences. This is about following Jesus and inviting others to follow Jesus. And so Paul is there, and so he's asking Timothy to come with him. So remember, Timothy is from Derby, Lystra area. And so look what happens here. If you rewind just a couple chapters back, you hear that Paul, in fact, has run out of one place, and he flees, verse 6 of Acts 14, to Lystra and Derby. It says there in verse 7 that he preaches the gospel and presumably Timothy and others believe, all right, on Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Um, Paul is basically stoned, left for dead in this place, but he, God, by the power of God, he's raised back up. He leaves. And then, crazily enough, all right, 
Paul actually comes back to this place and he begins to strengthen the souls of the disciples. Verse 22 of Acts 14. He encourages them in the faith, tells them, hey, listen, just like I've suffered, you guys are going to suffer for the faith. And then verse 23, before Paul leaves, he appoints elders. That's leadership in the church to keep preaching, teaching, and giving the people an example to follow. How were they to live out the gospel? How are they to live for Christ? So Paul has done all of that. And then we come to Acts 16. So you see kind of the progression. He showed up, preached the gospel. People believe. Paul leaves. He comes back. He strengthens the church, further preaching the gospel, telling them what it looks like to follow Christ. At this point, he now appoints the leadership in the church there to say, listen, I'm leaving. You guys keep preaching the sound doctrine that Jesus Christ is the long-awaited Old Testament Messiah. You guys make disciples. Acts 16, he now shows back up to that place. There's Timothy. He's a disciple. He's been following, well spoken of by the church. And he says, listen, I want you now to go with me. So the life of discipleship is being lived out. Paul is going to do something very significant for Timothy, though, when he writes his final letter to him in 2 Timothy. And so before we, as you make your way to 2 Timothy, we're going to pick up there in chapter 3 in a moment. He does two things for him. One, he says, listen, Timothy, this is about safeguarding of your own soul. So we talk about discipleship this morning. We're talking about the safeguarding of your own soul. Where you're going to spend eternity, where you are currently in Christ or out of Christ. He says, listen, this is about safeguarding of your soul. So discipleship is the safeguarding of our own soul. So it's important. Secondly, he tells Timothy, he's going to show him, hey, listen, not only do you have a responsibility to guard your own soul, you have a responsibility to the souls of others. So let's walk through those two ideas today as we look at Paul and Timothy's relationship or, in essence, discipleship as it unfolds. Second Timothy chapter 3 is where we'll pick up. Paul says, as he writes to Timothy in his final letter, kind of interesting if you don't know much of the background, all right, you're making your way to 2 Timothy 3, is that Timothy has become the pastor of the church in Ephesus, all right? We actually have a book that's written to the church at Ephesus. It's called the book of what? Ephesians, right? That's the letter. Um, if you don't know about it, we're going to encounter Ephesians here in the book of Acts. And Ephesus was one of the centers of the occults in that day and time. You're going to see they had all kinds of these magic books um, that they practiced sorcery. All kinds of crazy stuff happens in the place of Ephesus. Timothy is a young man. He's leading that church, all right? So Paul's going to write the letter to Ephesus, the church there, but he also writes two direct letters to Timothy himself. It's called 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy there in the New Testament. This is the second letter, and Paul's final letters, he exits the scene, and he's going to say at the close of this book, he says of this letter, hey, listen, the time of my departure is now at hand. So these are some final words from the mentor, from the coach, from the disciple Paul to his young Timothy. He says, understand this, verse 1 of 2 Timothy 3. That in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self. Lovers of money. Proud. Arrogant. Abusive. Disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful. Unholy. Heartless. Unappeasable. Slanderous. Without self-control. Brutal. Not loving. Good. Treacherous. Reckless. Swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness, but not denying its power. Avoid such people. Paul tells young Timothy, listen, I want you to realize what's around you. I want you to see the world around you. I want you to see that this right here of what you've been heard or what you've just seen in the text is the reality is that's where your children live. This is the area in which your grandchildren live. This is where the people in the pew next to you, that's the culture they now live in. 
All those things are, are rampant in our society. In fact, many of those are actually praised. Those are seen as good quality. Those are good things to be about. And so I want you to realize the desperate need that Timothy has and that you also have for discipleship. You need to see what Paul tells Timothy to do in light of where he lives and what's happening. And what you're going to see is the necessity that Timothy had for discipleship and how much you also desperately need it. So watch what Paul tells Timothy to do. It's it's this powerful statement. Verse 10 of the same chapter, 2 Timothy 3. You, however, have parakalatheo. He says, listen, you have followed, all right? And so this is a significant Greek word. It's a compound word he's using here, right? All right? So kind of the first part of it means para, which means from or beside of. He says, listen, you followed my teaching, my aim in life, my conduct, my faith, my steadfastness, my persecutions. He says, my love. He's going to list this big list of all these things that Timothy is saying. He says, listen, how do you know it? How did you see this, Timothy? Well, it's because you followed. And so the first part of that literally indicates that he, he's beside or from. And then this Greek word, kalatheo, and it kind of drops the alpha off the front of it, but the first part indicates a, a union or a likeness, all right? So he says, listen, you're beside of me. There's a union, there's a likeness, and the Greek word there indicates a way. He's saying, what's he telling him here? Let's, kind of, let's put it together for a moment. He's saying, listen, Timothy, do you, you, you know about my way of life. You know about my conduct, my faith. You, you know about my love for God. You know about what all I've experienced in persecutions and sufferings. How do you know that, Timothy? Because Kalatheo indicates that they are going the same way. And when he indicates that para on the front, he's saying, listen, we've not only gone the same way, we're not only headed the same direction in life, we're doing it side by side. You've walked with me, Timothy. We've spent time together, Timothy. This is not something that you're hearing about and just wondering, oh, I wonder what that might have looked like in Paul's life. Because some of you are there this morning. You'd say, like, I don't have a clue what discipleship looks like. I didn't grow up in a home where anybody did any discipleship. I, I didn't grow up in a home where people cared anything about God or about church or about uh, the, what the Word of God says or how to actually love your neighbor as yourself. That's a great mantra, but I'll be really honest. I don't know what that looks like in daily life. Paul says... The reason why is because you've not been discipled. But he says, discipleship, when you walk beside one another, looking to Christ, as the writer of Hebrews says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, he says, the author and perfecter of our faith. He says, this is what it looks like. And so you know, Timothy, you've walked beside me. We've gone the same way. Interesting, this Greek word here is used in some really important instances. In fact, it's used by Jesus himself. Look with me if you would. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. It says that Jesus, while he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, his ministry is beginning to unfold here, taking place at, the, at this kind of the roots of the ministry starting, this public ministry of Jesus. He says, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's also called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And he says to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. That's the same Greek word saying they began to literally walk side by side with Jesus. That's discipleship. Look further, though. Jesus doesn't only do it for Peter and Andrew. Look what he says, verse 21 of Matthew 4. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. These guys are fishermen. They're out with Dad. This is the family business. Jesus says, come follow me. And watch what it says. Immediately, they leave Dad and the boat, and they follow 
they leave. They follow Jesus. But it's not only for Peter and Andrew. It's not only for James and John. This is more the disciples. This is Jesus. This is how he calls people to come follow him. Look what he says. Matthew 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he says to him, this is scandalous. Listen, tax collectors were hated, all right? They often cheated the people. They often worked for the Roman government that the Jewish people hated. They often charged exorbitant prices. They they mistreated people. They abused people. Nobody liked tax collectors. And Jesus says to this one, Matthew, Levi, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. He says, listen, I, I, I want you to walk beside me. Further, John chapter 1, verse 43, the next day Jesus says he decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and he says to him, follow me. This is continually. So when Paul says, hey, listen, hey, Timothy, you know what it looks like to follow. The real reality is the reason why we're doing that is, is because that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. In fact, that's what Moses and Joshua were doing all the way back in the Old Testament. That was discipleship. It's living and walking with one another. It is living your life together. Look what happens here, though. Look what he says to him. Verse 10, about 2 Timothy 3. You, however, have followed. Remember that. That's the word there. You've followed. You've walked beside me. Daily life. So you know about my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. Kind of here, on the, you can see up here, this is from session two in your book, your material, right? If, if you're a part I want to be a part of the discipleship here. I'm just going to show you some today, just some, some pages, some screenshots of what it looks like. I don't know if you can see it very well. But um, one of the things there, page 33, session 2. So this won't be the first week, but the second week. It asks a question about relationships. And it says, what are you doing to make Jesus more central to the area of your life in regards to relationships? So if we took that and applied it to Paul and Timothy and their area of discipleship, what might we be able to answer about Paul's relationships? Well, he might well know this. Paul's teaching is it's real teaching. He doesn't just talk the talk. He walks the walk. I've seen how he teaches and how he lives out this in relationships with others. In fact, I've seen that Paul experiences persecutions and sufferings, and yet he just keeps on loving others. When he's persecuted, he, he actually he just keeps loving them. And when he's cursed, he blesses. Um, that, that's who Paul is in relationships. And then ask another question about this. It says, hey, what about your finances? Is Jesus central to your finances? And so if you answer that from the area of Paul and Timothy and their life of discipleship, Paul could, or Timothy could tell you, hey, listen, I know about Paul's, ta- Paul's finances. Why? Because when I see the way he spends his money, I can tell you what's his aim in life and what he really loves. If we looked at your finances today, we could tell really quickly what's your aim in life and what you really love. Further with me, look what happens here now when he says, listen, what about your time and schedule? Is Jesus at the center of your time and your schedule? Well, he could say, hey, listen, I, I've seen Paul. I've seen his patience. I've seen how Paul, in moments when I would absolutely, totally have lost it, I mean, this guy just remained patient. Or maybe I saw Paul blow it. And then I saw how he repented and made things right with those that he had gotten angry with or lost his temper. In fact, I would see that this guy's steadfast. When I think about his time and schedule, man, he's one of the most de- demanded speakers anywhere. And yet he just keeps meeting alone with Jesus. He keeps taking that time, carving it out to be alone, him and God. And then it kind of asks a little bit deeper, maybe a little bit, maybe something you, you might be a little less comfortable talking about. But it says, hey, what about the area of sex? Is Jesus the center of your life when it comes to your sexual relationships? Is that really what's happening? Well, he, he could say, hey, listen, I, I've seen his conduct and I've seen his faith. And this brother lives it, even in the area of sexual purity. 
Even though he's single. You see, when he says you've followed, he could now begin to answer a lot of these about areas of his life. I wonder, do you need accountability in relationships, finances, how you spend your time, your schedule, your sexual life? The reality is we all do. We all need accountability. And Paul is saying, we've walked beside each other, Timothy. Brother, you know what that looks like. Now, the reality is, listen, if you're thinking this is going to happen in one hour a week when we meet together on Sunday nights or Tuesday mornings or Thursday evenings, you've missed it, right? I mean, I, there's no relationship. Uh, there's several of folks here that are, that are newlyweds, others that are engaged, others that are maybe considering engagement, right? I've even seen some of you possibly looking at rings, not going to say, just saying, I've possibly um, seen that. Um, that was crazy, a little awkward. You were embarrassed, I was embarrassed, but I still love you and I hope you still love me. But anyway, um, so anyway, some folks are really concerned here and those are moms and dads and you should be, you should be. Um, but here's my point in saying all that. Can you imagine that if you want a serious relationship with somebody, you say, hey, listen, baby, I love you. And to take this to the next level, you know what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to give you one hour a week. Woo! Baby, this is going to be the best. For- I mean, I'm telling you, you have got, this is it. It's, it's all yours, baby. This is it. Me and you, one hour a week. That's what I'm giving you. It's going to be awesome. That going to go well for you? I mean, try that in your marriage. Hey, listen, baby, I'm telling you, this year, 2017, we are raising it up another level. So I want you to know that one hour a week, is just, it's just going to be just me and you. That's it. The rest of it is kind of me. So when you hear this and think about discipleship or your relationship with God, if you think it's become one hour on Sunday morning or one hour when you meet during the week to do discipleship with the other person, you've missed it. All this other stuff, it happens as you daily walk beside each other. So who... Are you discipling or who has God put on your heart to say, listen, I really would love just to meet with you. Man, if we could just start there, one hour a week. I, I mean, I've got so many things in my life I, I, need, I need your accountability on. I need your wisdom on. This is the biblical example, discipleship. So I compel you, come, sign up, be a part. Say, I want to invest my life in others. Well, look, the, further, the... You can see it there on the screen. I hope it shows up decently. But each week, this is from session six, okay? It's going to ask application type questions. And so in session six, you're going to get a chance to come back together and say, hey, listen, we're going to share our testimony this week. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you're terrified of telling anyone about Jesus anytime because you're like, I just get so tripped up and I can't speak very clearly, Blake. And I'm terrified what they might ask. Great. So this is the first step. And then you can come back and you're meeting with that person. You can say, hey, listen, I, I tried to start and then, then I just laid and then, 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 I, did, I, did, I, did, I just couldn't get anything out. Or they asked me this question and totally stumped me. And I just shut down. Great. Now you've got somebody else that can pray for you, that can walk beside you and say, well, listen, I, I've been there too. And here's maybe what you want to think about next time. And let's pray that God will give you the power of His Spirit as you share Right, and, and other things, looking to our community of how you might reach them with the gospel. So just week in and week out, those are just some questions, different things, different weeks, asking you, going deeper. Well, Paul does something amazing for Timothy that, that I cannot be overlooked. And look what he does here. He says to him further, again, back in 2 Timothy 3, same, same chapter, same letter. He says to him further, he says, not only, hey, listen, have you, you've seen my way of life. You've you followed me. You've walked beside me. He says... Here's what I want you to know because of the culture and the world in which you live, Timothy. It's so ungodly. Here's, here's what I want to remind you of. 
Continue in what you have learned and firmly believe. Look at what he says here. This is, this is crucial. Knowing from whom you learned it. He says, don't forget about discipleship. They're running to the altar this morning. I'm glad. Hey, man. Hey, we want to say it. We're glad the kids are in this church. Amen. Come on. We're glad they're here. Amen. Amen. We're glad they're here. Um, we're glad that your kids are here. So we want you here. We're glad life is here. Right? It's happening. Um, I know our senior adults often talk about this. Kind of a little just a sidetrack for a moment. They're, they love to see the kiddos here. They're excited about the children that are here. So we're excited. Those kids are going to cry. They're going to laugh. They're going to get up and run. Um, I'm excited. We've been praying for the time people would run to the altar. It's happening, baby. So um, the, the scriptures do say, and a child shall lead them. Come on. Right? All right. Back here. Back here. Let's come on. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And he says, listen, you know the word of God and you know those whom you learned it. Don't forget it. Now, this has big moments, right? And, and I, I need to say the text really quickly, but I, I would say this. This is a reminder, as a Sunday school teacher, what you do every week matters. This is a reminder, as a bus driver, when it gets so crazy and chaotic and you wonder, Oh, Lord, how many more weeks can I do this? You realize that them coming and learning and being in under the influence of the Word of God and other men and women of God has impacts for them and their families long after you'll be gone. Right? I mean, we read it this morning there, Psalm 103 there. You're a flower quickly fading. You're like the grass. You're here today. You're gone tomorrow. But what you do today matters. He's saying, listen, don't forget those from whom you learned it. Don't forget about the discipleship that happened in your life. Look what he points him back to. He points him back from the childhood. He says, those sacred writings, the scripture of God that's breathed out by God. This is God's word. He says, anchor in the word of God, Timothy. Even when I'm not with you, even when I exit the scene, I want you to anchor in the word of God. And so each week, I mean, it's. It's something small, uh, beginning um, like day one, Mark 1, 1 through 15. 15 verses. It's not a ton of, listen, we know you already have a lot of stuff. If you're invited, you're in part of a reading plan or Sunday school class, it's not to overwhelm you with more material or more reading. But it is a start of saying, hey, listen, here's some text we just want to talk through. So Paul is there and he's been preparing Timothy. Not only safeguarding him his own soul, he's, he's really dealt with him personally. Now Paul begins to deal with Timothy to say, listen... Hey, yeah, I've walked beside you. I've discipled you. But listen, Timothy, this is not only about you, brother. This is about those you lead. Moms and dads, it's not just about you. This is about your children. Grandparents, it's not just about... This is grandchildren. It's not just about you personally. Wednesday night leaders, this is about you leading the children that God sent. 30, what, 5 this past week. We need more help. There are kids everywhere. God just keeps sending them. And we just don't want to like corral them and have try to do our best to keep them under control. We want to disciple them. But it can't happen 4 to 35. It happens best 1 to 1 or 2 to 1. So we need you. And if that doesn't move your spirit, then I'm just going to ask you, you need to seriously investigate. Where's God using you? You have a responsibility to make disciples. It should be happening. Maybe it's not on Wednesday nights, but God should be using you in this church to make disciples. So now, you hear that and you say, Blake, so you're saying that it's my responsibility to guard the soul of someone else. So, does that mean that like I'm in danger of like maybe messing somebody else's salvation up? Or No, pump the brakes just for a moment. Hold, hold that. He's going to say it's kind, of, it's kind of twofold. Ultimately, God does the safeguarding. In fact, Paul says that in this very letter, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. He says, 
I know whom I've believed, and I'm convinced that God's able to guard my salvation till the day of till the day in which I meet him face to face. He says, Listen, I, I'm convinced it's ultimately God guarding. In fact, Peter says in first Peter two, verse twenty five, that God is the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Jesus would say in John chapter ten that you are not only in his hand, he says that you're also in the Father's hand, he says, who is greater than all, and no one can snatch you from it. So I'm not indicating that God is not ultimately the safeguard or the shepherder of our souls, but there is a responsibility to the church leadership and also to you individual believers as you disciple others and safeguard their soul. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews would say. Hebrews 13, verse 17. He says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. The leadership here is having a responsibility to keep watch over their souls. And then he says this moment here that honestly causes me to shudder. And I dealt with it very, uh, I struggled a great deal when God called me to ministry because of statements like this. As those who will have to give an account. If that didn't put a fear in every leader, a holy fear of God that listen, as James 3 and 1 would say, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because we who teach will be judged more strictly. It is a great level of accountability and responsibility. It's... To use Peter Parker's grandfather's words, that moment in Spider-Man when he says, with great power comes great what? Responsibility. You know it. That that's pops there in the movie, pulling ultimately from biblical truth. There's great responsibility. And he says, let them do this. Look what he says, though. Let the leadership lead with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So how could you maybe say, listen, Blake, if, if I was really serious about um, realizing that the leadership here has responsibility to keep watch over my soul, how could I help you guys do that with joy? It would be what the letter of Third John says. I believe it's there in verse 4. It says, I would have no greater joy than to hear or to know that my children are walking the truth. You want to bring joy to the leadership of this church? Live for Jesus. Die to yourself and live for Him, and that will bring such joy. So look what happens here. I know time's moving, so let's keep the shepherding of our souls, the responsibility, the leadership. But look what he says. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Again, we're back here in this letter. All right, kind of staying there today, anchoring there. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, when Paul says, And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Maybe this visual will help you. We touched on it several weeks back. He says, listen, you've got a responsibility to teach others, but look what kind of unfolding here. If you're saying, what's this look like, Blake? Just kind of like pull the accordion out. Right? Let me see it. Big ballpark picture. Well, in Acts 14, Paul shows up there, Derby Lister, and he shares the gospel, and Timothy presumably believes. In fact, he returns back there in verse 22 of Acts 14, and he makes disciples. And in verse 23, they appoint elders, they appoint a leadership of the church to keep making disciples, to keep preaching and teaching. In Acts 16, where we are today, Paul shows back up there and he says, Hey, listen, there's a guy that's been well spoken of. He's being discipled. He's following. Hey, I want you to come and walk beside me. In fact, that happens. And now Paul tells Timothy, hey, Listen, you're in charge now to actually lead the church in Ephesus, verse 1 of chapter 3. Keep preaching and teaching there. So now it's beginning to unfold. Timothy, who's walked beside Paul, is now leading others. And then he says in this final letter, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Hey, listen, Timothy. It's time that you entrust others to teach because you won't be here forever and God may move you on. Like a, like a for real, honest question. You realize you're not going to live forever, right? 
Are you discipling them today? Are you loving that man or woman today like you want when it's over and done and you walk past their body or they walk past you? I mean, are you living this today? Are you making disciples here and now? That's what he's saying. Listen, you're not going to be there forever. You've got a responsibility. Today is the day, right? I mean, it's now is the time, Second Corinthians 6 and 2 would say. You have a responsibility. CW's not in here, but I told him this morning, I said, man, this is something you'd like. Uh, from session 8 in, in your discipleship material, again, I want to encourage you to be a part. You can see the moment. You can text in, sign up, whatever you want to do. It asks the question this. Are you a spiritual grandfather? It asks the question, are you a spiritual grandfather? Because right, right here you are. And you say, well, how did I get here? Well, ultimately, there was someone who discipled you, right? There's someone that ultimately shared the gospel with you, who's walked beside you. I don't know to what extent, right? We may all be at different places. And the reality is, you may be where you are down the road, as it's often said. We stand taller because we stand on the shoulders of others. So there may have been someone that really poured in, that really invested, Sunday school teacher, um, just uh, someone at church, maybe as a family member, a friend, a co-worker. Are you that person? Would someone say that about you? That's... And not only that, were they discipled, ultimately someone shared the gospel with them. Someone taught them the scripture. Someone walked beside them. And so then you begin to ask the question, well, what's happening with me? Am I discipling anyone? And as I disciple them, then, then hope, hoping and praying as the Spirit of God moves and the Word of God leads, they begin to disciple others. And this family tree begins to work. And you say, listen, obviously we're not alone. We have the church, right? And so others are here and they're pouring in this person and you and other people are pouring in the person that discipled you and the person that discipled them. I mean, it's, it's, it's all of us working together. But I want to ask, I mean, that's kind of the question that's going to ask right there. Are you a spiritual grandparent? Have you discipled someone and empowered them and equipped them and encouraged them to begin discipling someone else? What's your spiritual family tree, or is it just stunted? You're like, I've got Jesus, that's really all I need. I don't really care about anybody else. I'm just worried about making it through my own life this way. That's spiritually selfish, and it's not biblical. The call is for you to make disciples. And you say, Blake, I'm not worthy. None of us are. That's why we need Christ and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the Word of God and the ecclesia, the church, the called out ones. We are family. La familia, look around. This is your family. You may have the greatest family on earth. You may not have ever had a family. But if you are in Christ, then this is your familia. We are to be discipling. We're to be pouring into one another. This is the biblical truth. And so he tells them as he closes out, Hey, listen, I charge you. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. And you say, Blake, why is discipleship so big? Why is this that I have this responsibility to oversee the souls of others? What, what's... He says, look what he says, verse 3 of 2 Timothy 4. Remember, this is Paul's final chapter. This is as he exits the scene. The time's coming when people will not endure sound teaching. And it says in verse 4, in fact, they're going to turn away. Turn away from what? The truth. And they're going to wander off into mists. How important is this today? Paul tells Timothy it's about the eternal, eternal souls of other men and women, boys and girls. That's how major discipleship is. 
Now, ultimately, are we entrusting that God is the safeguard of soul? Yes, absolutely. I'm not denying that. But Paul is saying here, listen to me, you have a major personal responsibility. So I want to ask you again, as many of you here are, are maybe more mature, older in the faith, Paul has some words for you, and it's in Titus chapter 2, and he says, listen, I want you to teach what's in accordance with sound doctrine. Verse 1 of, of, of Titus chapter 2, and then he says it further to him, verse 2, Older men, you're to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Now, older women, what's he tell them? You are to be reverent in behavior, not slander or slaves to much wine. Older women, look what he says, you are to teach what is good and to train the younger women. You're to teach, you're to train what? So they can love their husbands and their children, they can be self-controlled, they're pure, they're working home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, he says, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. The question is, how will these younger men ever learn to be self-controlled? Because they can walk beside an older man that's showing them, hey, listen, I too struggled and here's how God began to bring self-control in my life. Discipleship. It's not just like one part of the letter or one part of the New Testament or the Old Testament. It just runs throughout. So I just want to compel you, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow my example as I follow Christ. Who can follow you as you follow Christ? As someone disciples you? I compel you again. I know we talk about times. Don't get your phone out. Get your phone out. If you haven't signed up yet, you can text in 270-883-1502. For sure, we have to have your name. And if you've already talked with someone and you know who you're going to team up with, then send us not only your name, but also their name so we'll know already. Because we're going to be trying to team up people. And in the day, if it's other than Sunday nights you're going to be meeting, just let us know. So you may sign up and say, hey, listen, uh, my, my name is Blake. Um, I don't have anybody else, but I can't do Sundays. So I might say Tuesday a.m. So my name, Tuesday a.m. or Monday nights. And maybe somebody else will text in and say, Monday nights, that works for me too. We know who to start teaming up together. So again, text it in. If you, if you haven't signed up yet, be a part of discipleship. Question one, who are you following? Question two, who is following you? And the third question is, what are you going to do about the first two questions? Who are you following? Who's following you? And what are you going to do about it? Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you that you have come to bring salvation, that you have shown us discipleship. God, I pray today that we would see this as biblical. We would see it's your truth. It's your design. Jesus himself said, follow me. I pray first and foremost, God, for those that don't know Christ, Lord, that they would hear and see their need to come to Christ, to experience forgiveness, to experience grace. Father, for the church, those that are in Christ already, I pray now that you would move their hearts just by your word, God. I know at the end of the day, God, it is, it is not my job to guilt anyone into it, Lord. It is the movement of your spirit. As we've been studying there in Ezra, the Lord stirred up the spirit. The Lord moved the heart of even the king of Persia, Cyrus. And so, Lord, I pray now that you would stir up the spirits of these people to be obedient to whatever you're calling them to do. Whatever it looks like, it may already be happening in their life, God, you alone know. And so, God, I'm just asking, Lord, that you would do what I cannot do, and that is stir the spirits of the people in accordance with your word to glorify your son, Jesus. And I ask this in faith in his name. Amen.